December 1948. A man sits at a typewriter in bed on a remote island, fighting to complete the book that means more to him than any other. He is terribly ill. The book will be finished, and a year or so later, so will the man. January 2017. Another man stands before a crowd, which is not as large as he would like, in Washington, D.C., taking the oath of office as the 45th President of the United States of America. His press secretary later says that it was the largest audience to ever witness an inauguration, period, both in person and around the globe. Asked to justify such a preposterous statement, the president's advisor described what was said as alternative facts. Over the next four days, U.S. sales of the dead man's book will rocket by almost 10,000%, making it a number one bestseller. When George Orwell's 1984 was published in the United Kingdom on June 8, 1949, in the heart of the 20th century, one critic wondered how such a timely book could possibly exert the same power over generations to come. Thirty-five years later, in 1984, when the present caught up with Orwell's future and the world was not the nightmare he had described, commentators again predicted that the book's popularity would wane. Another 35 years have elapsed since then, and 1984 remains the book we turn to in a troubled age. The novel has been adapted for cinema, television, radio, theater, opera, and ballet. That's according to Dorian Linsky in the study, The Ministry of Truth. Continuing, people have spent years in jail just for reading the book. Since day one, hostile critics of 1984 have accused Orwell of giving up on humanity. The future will be dreadful and you can't do anything about it. But nothing in Orwell's life and work supports a diagnosis of despair. On the contrary, aside from the brief wobble of the story inside the whale, he consistently used his power of facing unpleasant facts to inspire greater awareness, including self-awareness, so as to root out the lies and fallacies that plague political life and threaten freedom. He would not have gone to such ruinous lengths to write 1984 if he only wanted to inform his readers that they were doomed. He wanted to galvanize, not paralyze, as Philip Rav of Partisan Review emphasized in his 1949 review. To read this novel simply as a flat prediction of what is to come is to misread it. It is not a writ of fatalism to bind our wills. His intention is, rather, to prod the Western world into a more conscious and militant resistance to the totalitarian virus to which it is now exposed. That was 1949. In other words, the future might be dreadful unless you do something about it. Words of Dorian Linsky in the study, The Ministry of Truth. The Scranton Fringe Festival is proud to announce their latest production, a gripping adaptation for the stage of George Orwell's 1984 in its Pennsylvania premiere at the Lackawanna College Theater in Scranton 
from July 27th through the 29th, and that's this weekend. The cast includes local actors, a good number of them, and two coming to town for the production, Chris Fitting from Philadelphia and Joelle Woodson from New York City, who stopped in at the WVIA studios to talk about this powerful piece and what it means to them to take these roles. A lot of the terms that we know to be associated with the book, doublethink or newspeak or thought police, thought police things like that were brought back into the lexicon right after 2016, in the midst of 2016. So it's really prescient to be doing this piece, even though we're sort of in the wake after 2020 election. A lot of the the sort of climate is still very much the same. So it's really it feels really special to be able to to do this now. And who is it who did the adapting? What kind of an adaptation is this? Robert Icke, Robert Icke and Duncan McMillan. They are two British playwrights and directors who have a history of adapting. They adapt classic works and kind of bring them in a stripped down, more modern way of, of telling the story. Yeah, It seems like it wouldn't be an obvious choice to make into a stage play. That could be right. I mean, the idea that they, they took with this was, you know, you read the book in high school and you might picture there's a man walking along a dreary street and there's a poster of Big Brother in the background and he goes and he sits down at his desk and starts writing in a diary. And this one, they more so had this idea of wanting to put you inside the central character's head. And it's just flashing in and out of these different things that he experiences along the way and in this world. I don't want to give too much away, but one of the key differences is that, you know, in, in the book 1984, there's an appendix at the end of the novel, which not a lot of people maybe have read. But the piece is, the play rather, is grounded in the appendix, which is written from a future standpoint. And you, as a reader, are reading it, looking back on 1984 as a as a text, right? As like a historical text. And so that perspective grounds this play, which is very interesting. It makes it more relatable. And I think a lot of people will be able to see both themselves in sort of the present day era that part of the play is in. Not the, not the full show, but there are parts where you come back to now. And then people will be able to relate to what they know about the, the book 1984, and then also what they think that they know about it. And there's a difference there, isn't there? There is yeah. a pretty big difference there. Yeah. When you come together as an ensemble to do this piece, how did you begin to talk about your roles, and how did the director draw you out and ask you about your own experience and what you're bringing to the characters you're creating? Yeah, we came in, we arrived in Scranton, and we did this uh, table work. We all sat down and talked about why we wanted to do this piece, what it meant to us, and how we were going to go about achieving that. And we all had our different answers for that. A lot of people's happened to be rooted in politics, especially the way that this particular adaptation was written. We're always thinking about the politics today with it. For me, personally, I have some personal experiences in my life that, that I saw in this book and in this play about not wanting to be told what to do or to think all the time about loving who I want to love and things like that. So I I had some more personal things attached to this. What is your character? I play Winston Smith, the central character. He's the one. He's there writing this diary. The play revolves around him and, and his ascent into wanting to fight back against the party and against Big Brother. The diary aspect. Are you talking to yourself a lot? 
are you reading aloud what you're writing? There is an element of that. And sometimes it's it's meant to be left ambiguous as to whether that person's there or they're just in my head or something like that. And Joel, how about you? So I, I'm playing Martin, who, if you remember in the book, has a very, very small role in the book. He is O'Brien's uh, servant, essentially, the person who lives in the house with him. What this play flips on its head is the relationship that Martin has to O'Brien and potentially elements of power that are expanded on that aren't expanded on in the book. We talked about doublethink at the beginning of this conversation as being one of the key things that people started talking about and or saying in 2016 and now, but that's also one of the key elements of of the play, you know, always sort of being in two places at once. We might have a thought in our in our brain that is different than our actions, and we might know that they are different, but the question is what do we do about that? How do we align those those two things? I think with Martin's role, when I when I was first approached to, to do this, our director, Connor O'Brien, asked me, would you feel comfortable playing a male part? And I said, well, wh- well what do you mean by that? Um, and he said, well, we don't want to do it in a drag sort of way. We want you to play the part as earnestly as you can, and this person will just have he, him pronouns. And I said, that might be interesting, a really interesting play on gender, a really interesting exploration on what it means to have a certain role and role not in, not in the play sense but in terms of society right martin is a martin is a servant he is a housekeeper but when you observe the relationship that he and o'brien has um it it becomes a little bit less clear as to who really has the power in their relationship so i said this is really interesting i would love to do this let's do it and i guess for me personally the the idea of being in two places at once you know martin is a servant on the outside but like I said, when you look into, when you when you watch how they interact with each other, it's clear that there's a different type of relationship there. And Martin might be somebody who has more power than you would perceive. Being a, being a Black American, that is something I, I relate to really, really well of having a sort of layer that people perceive you as, but also being way more than that. And in the eyes of society, sometimes you aren't able to be perceived as having more power than, than is perceived. So... It's really it's personal for me in that way. And I love I love exploring that kind of relationship or that kind of power dynamic. That's pretty rare for for an actor to have. Are these characters fully fleshed out or are they sort of types? I know what I think, but I'm curious what you think, Chris. I think my character is fully fleshed out and everyone else is subjective. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we're going for here. I would agree with that. I think I think the story revolves around Winston and is maybe in his head, maybe not. I'm not sure if that matters as much, but I definitely think that everybody else in the show serves a purpose. And in the cast photo that's out there for publicity, there are a number of you. So what other figures are brought to life? Yeah, so we have a cast of nine people. And what does that leave us with in this play? There's Winston, there's O'Brien, who's some sort of senior member of the party. There's Julia, also works for the party, a love interest. Joelle and I are currently rooming with a nice man named David who plays Charrington, a bookseller. Diary has to come from somewhere. (laughs) Do you two, are you on the stage together at any point? We are, but I think, like Chris was saying, there are moments where we don't know if we're in Winston's head or not. And so there are moments where we are on stage together, but 
we are not in the same realm of reality together. When we ran the play yesterday, I definitely remember making eye contact with Joelle once. I, d I don't remember that. Definitely happened once. <laughs> I don't think that happened, mm -hmm. but... At this point, are there things that you think you might take away from mm -hmm. this experience? Yeah. For me, I haven't done a role in which someone appears a certain way and really is another. And so that is something, that's something I've always wanted to do, really. That's something I've always wanted to, to take on. So it's been a different way of, of analysis, of analyzing the character. It's been a different way of understanding my character's wants and the actions that that character does to go about getting them. So that's, this is something I'll take with me for sure. I do a lot of musical theater. I have never done an intense drama like this before. This is a new thing for me. And I learn things every day. It's it's not the same thing as showing up and doing a musical. He's doing great. Is lighting going to be part of this effect very much? A big, big part. I think the lighting and the set, they, uh, they are devices in creating two to three to four different types of worlds at the same time. So you'll be seeing a lot of, you know, spaces in which one part of the stage is, is illuminated and another might not be or might be at another time. Another huge part of that is the projections. We're in this beautiful theater at Lackawanna College and there's just going to be projections on the whole back of the stage and even on the proscenium arches along the side. And that's going to be really helpful in telling the story and, and conveying the way that technology plays into some of these things, the media. Definitely. And I, and I don't want to spoil too much magic, but there is an element of live streaming as well, which definitely goes in, into that and is a mirror of, of what tools are that we use today. So it's very exciting. It's very exciting to be able to engage with new forms of technology while we're on stage with our craft, you know. And the experience is so much different from a film of 1984 mm -hmm. that has the special effects and so forth. But we're in the presence of living, breathing humans and therefore the impact of what you all are doing and exploring power and all those things and the frightening, chilling things that reverberate with what we've been experiencing ourselves mm -hmm. would have to have a visceral impact. Do you have people in the audience reacting yet? Not yet, but one of the main draws of doing this piece for me was when they did this same version of the play on Broadway in 2017, it was reported that people were vomiting and fainting and fighting with other audience members about what to do about the actors on stage and, and people having that sort of reaction to it. And I think with all the effects and, and the sense of reality and importance of this story that we're telling, I don't know if we will have that sort of effect on people, but... We could, and that, that that's certainly there at times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, you get that feeling yourselves, as you? As yeah. You? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's hard not to because of the story and because of how relatable it is, but there there is a there is a sort of um, brutal brutal aspect to 1984 that we are trying to, to bring to the stage, really. Not in a sense to alienate our, our audiences, but just to, to bring about that visceral reaction. I think we want people to... I think we want people to squirm a little bit, not not to be totally uncomfortable with watching us on stage, but we want people to really kind of grapple with what they're watching. There is a sense 
sometimes we have that people feel powerless and what can I do in the face mm-hmm. of these overwhelming things I hear about, read about, see Absolutely. happening and these forces at large and the sense we're left with is not just wake up, but is there any sense of spurring to action? That's the hope after squirming a little bit that we say, what can I do? What can we do? I think so. I, I, I think so. I mean, I when we sat down on our first table read, like Christmas mentioned a couple minutes ago, I think one of the things that I, I said that I wanted was people to, to feel confronted and to the point where they see the ways that they might be complicit in how media is spun or how media is is um, understood or not or lack or lack thereof or not not investigated even further so for me I I would like for our audiences to feel that feeling of what can I do about this what am I not doing about this and even more broadly than that when we had that discussion what I said I wanted to accomplish by doing this piece was I want people to be able to take note of what's going on in their lives, hold on to what they know to be the truth, and do something about it. Whether it's about anything related to the political allegories of this piece or not, I want people to see this play and think, wow, there's something I could be doing better in my life, and I'm going to start doing that. Chris Fitting from Philadelphia and Joelle Woodson from New York City cast members in the Scranton Fringe Festival production of a stage adaptation of 1984 by George Orwell in its Pennsylvania premiere at the Lackawanna College Theater on Vine Street in Scranton from July 27th through the 29th, and that's this weekend. For more information on the web, scrantonfringe.org, scrantonfringe.org, There will be shows July 27th, Thursday, Friday the 28th, and Saturday the 29th at 7.30 each evening, and a 2 o'clock matinee on Saturday the 29th. And if you can't get to the production, Saturday night's showing of 1984 is being live-streamed, and live-stream tickets can be found at scrantonfringe.org. That's an adaptation for the stage of 1984 by George Orwell in a production by the Scranton Fringe Festival. And that's this weekend, starting Thursday, July 27th and running through the 29th. Again, the 7.30 performances, Thursday the 27th, Friday the 28th, and Saturday the 29th. That's the one that will be live streamed as well. And there is a matinee on July 29th at 2 o'clock. For more information on the web, scrantonfringe.org, scrantonfringe.org.